right, if you're with me tonight, um, even if you're not, you can still do this. Turn to Isaiah chapter 54, if we can do that together. How many of you are here on Sunday? All right, the rest of you, I'm going to give you a quick catch-up on what we talked about, but I want to spend the majority of tonight adding something special. I know. Um, I want to add something special tonight to what I talked about on Sunday. On Sunday, we, we discussed there's five words uh, to, to kill your anxiety. Is this the right one? I guess it is. Yeah, because it's got Isaiah in it. Five words to kill your anxiety. And so um, we, we saw that uh, there, there's two Hebrew words that are very similar to each other. One means bread or defeat, and one means defeat. And what we learned is that when we rest, when we rest in the presence of our enemies, what we rest in is we rest in the assurance of the promises of God over our life. And when we know his promises and we begin to feed on those promises, we can believe and rest in those promises. And the Bible says that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, which means the presence of enemies is often the time when God lays out the table. Amen? And he wants you to sit down, not fight. He wants you to sit down and feed on his promises, feed on his word, feed on the bread of life being Jesus, so that you can believe and enter into rest, and he can fight your battles for you. So the five words to kill anxiety, I'm going to go ahead here. You missed all this. That's okay. Hopefully you're really fast at reading. (laughs) Is this right here. The battle is the Lord's. How many of you believe that? The battle is the Lord's. So one of the things I talked about on Sunday was that there's no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And I just touched that on Sunday, just barely touched that. And I want to go more in depth on what that actually means. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. How many of you ever heard that before? All right, that's scripture, great. So no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And I'm going to go there, um, if we can, we'll go there in a moment, um, Let's go first to Isaiah fifty four fourteen. Now, that scripture we find uh, two verses later, three verses later in verse 17. This is verse 14, verse 17. We're going to read in a moment. I want you to see the context for no weapon formed against us shall prosper. It's this right here. In righteousness, in righteousness, You will be established. You will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. If we're trying to kill and and eliminate anxiety from our lives, which I believe every Christian should be free from anxiety. Do you believe that tonight? It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian if you have anxiety or worry. I just believe that God desires us to be free. Come on. And so I also believe that he's given us what we need to be free. We just need to become conscious of it up here and begin to live it out. And so in this it says, in righteousness you will be established. And in righteousness you will be far from terror. In righteousness you will not fear. In righteousness terror will not come near you. Now we're not just talking about ISIS or or the jihadist state or whatever it may be means anything that would come to harm you in righteousness, it cannot be established. 
The key word being in righteousness. If we go to verse 17, just three, three verses down, same chapter. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. It's very clear that God, one of the scriptures that says, God, the, vengeance, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. And the idea is this. If you allow him to advocate on your behalf, if you allow him to fight on your behalf, and you put down your earthly visible weapons, an invisible God will come down and fight your visible battle. And the reason no weapon can for, be formed against you and no weapon can prosper is because as we started this little, little paragraph here, it's because we have learned to be in righteousness. Amen. Weapons, this is the key. Weapons will be formed, but they will never be effective. The presence of weapons does not mean there's not a God. The presence of weapons does not mean that, that God has forsaken you. The presence of a weapon pointed at you, which is a weapon formed against you, that's a fancy word for saying, yo, turn it, two fingers, all right? This is a weapon formed against you. It may not be an actual gun, but it's anything that would come to destroy your life. Anything that would come to destroy your life. So when a weapon is pointed at you, it is formed against you. It is, it is directed at you. The Bible says this. It says that it will not prosper. But it does not mean that no weapon will not, that there, that, that does not mean that weapons will not be formed against you. How many of you know this is not what the scripture says? It does not say no weapon will be formed against you. That'd be cool. You're like, okay, I have nothing to worry about. But it says no weapon that is formed against you will actually prosper against you. It will not be effective. Why? Because we learn to live in his righteousness. Let me nail this down a little bit more, okay? We can. It's going to be quick tonight. Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness. How many of you know what the kingdom of God is? What does it say? It is righteousness. What else? Peace and joy. Come on. And, and it's funny because he, he tells us it's the kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? That's what the kingdom of God is described at. But he wants to make a point here. He wants to narrow it down a bit. He says, he says that uh, seek first the kingdom and specifically in the kingdom his righteousness, not your righteousness. You don't have any. <laughs> the Bible says there are none righteous among you, not one. So, y'all who think you're righteous, first of all, 
We know you ain't. <laughs> it's in vain, the idea that you think you're going to make yourself righteous. If I think I could serve God humbly, Pastor Dan could serve the Lord with his whole heart and lay down his life for the sheep and be the shepherd of this great church. And every time you got sick, I could be there on my hands and knees washing your feet. And that would not make me righteous. It's his righteousness. When Jesus died and rose again and he gave us the gift of grace or the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, it wasn't our righteousness because you and I don't have righteousness. It is his righteousness we receive. And when you receive his righteousness and you begin to walk in his righteousness and become conscious of his righteousness, we can actually live our life free from the concern and worries of this world. And here's what changes in our brain. Listen, I'm going to be real kind. No, I'm not going to be kind because I don't care anymore. All right? I'm losing it. It's the most arrogant thing to think that you can be righteous. It's so arrogant. And I get around people who flow that way, and I'm just like, Lord Jesus, help me, Lord. It's like, do you not look at yourself in the mirror? Do, are you not honest with the thoughts that cross your mind? Are you not real about what you did and nobody was looking? Come on. There's not one righteous among us. Can we be real in church? Aren't you tired of hearing something that's not real? Come on, be honest. Aren't you tired of hearing folks act like, you, if only you could be like me, you'd be better off in your life. As the spiritual leader of this house... Do as I do, walk in my footsteps, and you shall be blessed. But make sure you send every dime you make to my P.O. box in Malibu, California, where I'm suffering for Jesus. Listen, the truth is this. Let's be real with one another. There's not one righteous among us. And the minute some, I've seen this time after time, the minute somebody who is, you know, high and lofty in ministry begins to act and condemn people around them for their mistakes, almost inevitably, they fall. The Bible says a, that pride comes before a fall. And every time we think we have it together and we are going to bank on our good deeds and good works, I promise you we are setting ourselves up to be embarrassed to the nth degree of I'm telling you this. I know this because, because my dad and I at times have been called in to help counsel people in confidence that if I gave you their names today, you would think to yourself, that guy has everything together. That lady has everything together. And inside, when no one's looking, their lives are falling apart because they've tried so hard on their own strength and with their own good deeds and works to put off this air as if they have everything together. And inside, they're falling apart because they've never received the gift of righteousness in their life and never begin to walk in it. And they're gritting their teeth at night and they can't sleep and they're taking medication 
their lives are falling apart. But it's come Sunday morning when the t- camera goes on, my heavens, they're the righteousness of themselves in front of everybody. But deep down inside, they're falling apart. And I'm telling you, you and I can fall into that trap like this. We can think we can do it on our own. And when you think you can do it on your own, you are going to fall and it won't be pretty. It's the height of arrogance to think that you can uh, somehow acquire righteousness. I can walk around you with you for an hour and you with me probably for five minutes and point something out that wasn't righteous. Right? Somebody cuts you off, you might not scream something out the window at them. You might not do a hand gesture that requires one appendage. But you might in your mind think, I'd love to run them off the road. Just for a moment. Now you're thinking about murder. And the Ten Commandments. I mean, he only gave us ten, and you can't even follow one of them. Let alone the other 400 plus. Right? I was in, well, I shouldn't tell this on television. Could we mute this part? I, um... See if I can, I can make this cryptic so no one can figure out what I'm talking about. I was making myself laugh today, and uh, it was not appropriate, and I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, I went to a certain place today. That doesn't narrow it down because there's lots of places. And the person that works there is little. Very little. Okay? Do you get what I'm saying? My wife is a giant compared to this person, all right? They were born that way. And I nicknamed, with alliteration, the name of the place, along with a derogatory name for small people in my mind. And while, because I named it that place, because every time I go in there, this person is there. I know. I'm telling on myself. And got laughing hysterical in the aisle of this place trying to purchase something because in my mind I've named it based on this small person that's there. Now, if I worked there, maybe they would call it like Fat Freddy's or something, okay? It's, <laughs> it's all good. I wouldn't be offended. But in my mind, I thought, and just and laughing hysterical, and, and let's be honest with each other, at the plight of somebody who can't help. What's going on, right? It's not nice. We laugh, but it wasn't nice. And then I got laughing about it, thinking it's hysterical. And then got in the car and told him myself. But how many times do we have things like that where for a moment we think, huh, that's funny, but really, ultimately, we're, we're really picking on somebody, even if we're not doing it overtly. We're doing it here. And in our hearts, you know, the Bible says we were born with wicked hearts. Right? Do you get me? And so there's even moments like that that you might pass by and laugh and go on your way. But at the end of the day, do you think that's building or exhibiting righteousness in your life? And if we were judged by what we thought, what we did, what we didn't do, what we said, you and I, no bueno. Do you know what I mean? Can we be real with each other? Or am I the only one? Y'all are making me feel like I'm a really bad. (laughs) 
And the, if the enemy can keep you trapped thinking you're the only one and everyone else around you has their act together, then he can isolate you and pick you off. Just like a lion, a predator does to a herd when one gets isolated and falls behind. If we can isolate you and make you think you're the only one that's struggling with something in your life. And religion does that. Religion encourages and rewards people. Listen very closely to what I'm getting ready to tell you. Religion encourages and rewards people to put on a front that's not real. And all it does is tell everybody else, none of one's going through what you're going through. Look how happy they are. Look how joyful they are. Look how perfect they are. Nothing's going on with them. Why are you so miserable? And the minute you get isolated, the enemy goes. It all comes back to this idea. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. He gave his love away. And along with his love was the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And when you begin to walk in the understanding, there's nothing you can do to earn the righteousness of God. And it's not yours. It's a gift from him. Do you know that the Bible says that God sees us in his son? I want you to think about that for a moment. Every time the heavenly father looks to his right hand at Jesus, he cannot see Jesus without seeing you. That's unbelievable. He sees my mug every time he looks at Jesus. Because I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. I am, I am, the Bible says I am in him and he is in me. So every time God looks at him, he sees you. This is why you can't earn it. When this clicks in your mind, you realize that there's two things going on here. There is a primary goal, if you will, and there is a, a secondary goal or secondary need or things. The primary thing that should be sought in our life is his righteousness. And because it's a gift, it's really the, the consciousness of it. And I hate to use that term because it's all like New Agey and stuff, but just go with me. It's the, it's the understanding, the, the consciousness, the, when your mind begins to really not just know it, but believe it and walk in it. When you, when you begin to connect the righteousness of God in your life and what that means, the Bible says this. It says, you don't have to worry what we eat, what we drink, what we wear for clothing. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Now, let me show you this picture if I can. God never sees, oh, I already said that. That was good. Oh, Danny, that was good. If you put the secondary thing, which is all of these things, our temporal needs, what will we eat? What will we wear? Where will we live? The, the, this scripture actually is referred to as the lower needs scripture. It's the lower needs. It's not like wisdom and grace and mercy and all that stuff. It's lower needs. It's simple stuff. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? Real basic need stuff. If you put those secondary things, those, those lower needs in the primary place, you will forfeit all the primary good and you're not guaranteed to receive the secondary benefit. In other words, you can live your life fearful of what am I going to eat, where am I going to live, what am I going to do, and live in that mindset, live in that space in your head, and pursue that, and miss out on pursuing his righteousness and what that means in your life. And not only will you miss out on, his, on, the, on the understanding of his righteousness, but you, you're not guaranteed to get what you seek. So you could not just miss out on the righteousness of God, 
but you could miss out on the whole enchilada. In other words, you could miss, and by enchilada, I mean literally enchiladas, okay? Like, you could miss the needs stuff in your life. Does that make sense? Now, on contrary, let me put this. When we put the primary thing in the primary place in our life, and that becomes the thing we seek, then all the other stuff, the secondary benefits, all of the lower need stuff that we need in our life, because how many know we have to eat? Amen? How many know we need to wear clothes? Some of us more than others. Amen? Right? We need to wear clothes. We need to eat. We need to, we need to have somewhere to stay, to lay our heads. We need all that. So in our minds, we think, well, I need that. And I'm worried about where I'm going to get it. So it's perfectly natural and normal for me to worry, worry about it. And it creates this cycle of anxiety in our life. Of worry, worry, worry. worry what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And he's saying this. He's saying, if you will pursue the understanding of my righteousness in your life, not your righteousness, but my righteousness and what that means, and receive that and walk in that, all these things will be added to you. Now, I've read this and gone, I'm just, well, how, do I, how do I look for his righteousness? It's just, it's just like, it's like a spiritual treasure hunt. Do I just go to the beach and start digging places and look for a plaque that says his righteousness and take that home and do Hail Marys too? I mean, what does it mean to pursue his righteousness in your life? Well, if it's his righteousness, listen to me. If it's his righteousness... And the Bible says that we receive the gift of righteousness through Christ Jesus. And it says that we are the righteousness of Christ. Come on. We are the righteousness of God through Christ. And we can receive this righteousness. Then when we receive Jesus, we receive his righteousness. And what we're seeking is not trying to find his righteousness. Come on. Are, we, are, we, are you connecting with me? Or is this not making sense? So let me, let me go a little step further. Let me make it a little easier, okay? If I had a hidden talent, what would it be? Dancing. Let's just say I have a dancing hidden talent. And every time the music plays, I don't get out there and dance. If I'm at a, a place and they're playing the waltz and my wife goes to grab my hands, I say, no, I'm good. But I have this natural ability to dance. It doesn't mean that I don't have it. I have it, but I'm not aware of it. And I need to become aware of it in order to begin to use it, to live in it. So finally one day, the waltz is on. I, I say waltz because I don't get done none of that dirty dancing stuff. I know you, how you all are. <laughs> Men, we've heard the music coming from your dorms at Harvest House, okay? <laughs> we've had reports. I don't even know who the modern artists are, okay? I really don't know who the modern artists are. I'm so, I'm, I, I like older stuff. Not like old, old stuff. I just like older stuff. I don't know who, who's who. Kodak, Kodak Black Beauty. No, that's not real. You're trying to throw me off. Last time I checked out, it was like, you know, like 50 cent. Was cool. That's when I checked out of music. Yeah, I like Coldplay, but I'm talking about the stuff that's like, you know, the bad stuff. 
I don't know. I heard that that guy on um, that sang during the halftime of the or rap during the halftime of the championship. Did anyone listen to that? What? Did you just say shady? No, Kendrick Lamar. Thank you. I I didn't understand him. I felt so old. I was like, I don't know what's going on right now. And I think he was just lip syncing. And when you're rapping, why are you lip syncing? You don't have to stay on pitch. Anyways, that's a whole other world. <laughs> what was I saying? Hidden talent. Thank you. If my hidden talent is getting back on track with my message, and I don't know I have that. <laughs> no, here's the thing. If we have his righteousness, but we're not aware of what that means in our lives, we need to seek that understanding. Does that make sense? Because you can receive Jesus and receive his righteousness and have no clue. And that's, that's a two-syllable word, clue. What in the heck that means? You go to work and you say to your friends, hey, I've got his righteousness, and they will lock you up, okay? They have, no one knows any idea what that means until you begin to understand what I've been talking about for the last six months, which is that when we receive his righteousness, we are, listen to me, we are acceptable and received as holy and blameless before the Father because of the sacrifice of the Son, which means we have nothing to worry about. Anxiety fades when we realize that I am in him and he is in me. And when, G when God looks over at his son, he sees me. I am the righteousness of God. I have nothing to worry about. Would God let his righteousness, that, the, that his righteousness, the, those that are made in his image, uh, be begging on the roadside, living under a bridge, all the things that we worry about happening if the what-ifs happen, all the things you worried about, God created you to be, it says that the, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. Some of you are worried tonight, am I ever going to have a spouse that loves me and I love them? Am I ever going to have a healthy relationship? If the Bible says it's not good for us to be alone and he created us to be in relationship and communion with somebody, don't you believe tonight that God wants those that are created in his image, who are created for relationship, who are created to not be alone, but to have partnership and relationship with somebody, don't you believe tonight that God will allow that to happen in your life? If you're worried about that tonight, if you really believe you're the righteousness of God, you can allow that to fade because you know in his timing and in his will, the right person will come into your life. Come on. You can say, well, I'm 50 years old. I'm 60 years old. I still don't have anybody. Well, let me tell you something. When you do have somebody, you have 40 years of love to pour out on them, and, and, and you have a life to live, and you have nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a wasted life. Come on, are you with me tonight? I've seen people get married for the first time at 75 years old, get married, have a relationship, and you and Buddy, they catch up. <laughs> they live life. I mean, they're just like, I'm going to, we're just going to, we're going to do this thing and live it right. And you're just like, hey, y'all slow down, you know, like, 
You're showing us young folks up. All right, now, my heavens. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Sasha Fierce in the house. All right. Put your hands. No. Now, on the other hand, now, I ain't talking to the folks that are yelling because, y'all, I bless you. But some of us aren't ready, ready to get married. Amen? Right? When we get to that part of the song, the single lady song, it's more like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. No, 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 no. Right? I'll, like, I'll have a counseling session with somebody. Let's have a counseling session together. And they're going to be like, hey, Pastor Dan, I just, uh, I just got a really abusive relationship. I'm very fearful and I'm not sleeping well at night. And I, um, I've got like three ex-boyfriends stalking me and I'm trying to clear up some probation issues and my heart just feels like it's been crushed and pounded and it's not you, but you just fit, you know. And it's on the ground and it looks like it's been mangled. And then I'm like, so why, why are you coming to see me? Do you want me to talk you through that? No, no, no. I met someone. I'm like, yeah? What, what? What do you want me to say? You just told me your heart was mangled and you have three ex boyfriends stalking you and you've never been in such a bad place. Right? But if you trust in the righteousness of God, in his time, all of these things will be added unto you. All right? So next time I call for all the single ladies, your hand won't be itching to go up. Because the, this, this understanding tonight will totally begin to shape how you, sorry. <laughs> Just kidding, you're ready to get married. <laughs> it's all good. All right, it's getting worse. Okay. If we learn, if we learn to put, if he says to seek this first, what he's saying is, is this should be the priority in your life. And then he's not saying, oh, and seek this second, right? He's not saying, seek this first, and then when you get it, then seek this, and then seek this. He's saying, you seek this, and everything else you're worried about will come. That might sound too simple for you, but I didn't write it. And the gospel is simple. It's not as complicated as we make it. So he's saying, you seek this, and all these things will be added to you. It's not just seeking his righteousness because we know we receive it as a gift, like I mentioned. It's this, very simple. It's beginning to understand what that means in your life and in your heart and how it changes the way you live because it will change the way you live. You won't allow people to do what we've allowed them to do. You know what will help you set boundaries? Knowing that you're the righteousness of God. 
Oh, I, I, well, you kind of deserved it. No, you don't. You're the righteousness of God. Well, I made her angry. No, you're the righteousness of God. You're the righteousness of God. Well, you know what? I did mess up. I got fired. Now they're evicting me. So I guess I'm going to have to deal with it. You're the righteousness of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You're the righteousness of God. Well, I had this coming to me. Yeah, well, all of us had it coming to us. But you're the righteousness of God. And when you walk in that understanding, you walk in that knowledge, you walk with that holy chip on your shoulder, and then you're not just worried about what's going to happen tomorrow because you realize that I'm the righteousness of God and every one of my needs he's going to meet. Do you believe that tonight? Yes. Good. If my mom and dad ask you how tonight went, you tell them I was very subdued and extremely... Why did you get rid of my... That's all right. It's time to end. Through all of my nonsense, do you guys understand what I'm saying tonight? Good. That's all I want. And if I can make you laugh at my expense, it's worth it, all right? Who said yes it is? I rebuke that. That was you, Calvin? Was that, is that Calvin back there? I'm supposed to come video to you tomorrow, Calvin. And you know what? I'm going to make it so dim, you ain't going to barely see you. And blurry, and blurry. All right? I'm going to come video you tomorrow. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Calvin. My battery is, seems to not be working. Well, you got four batteries with her. They're not working either, all right? I'm just kidding. Let's, let's pray tonight. Honey, will you pray? Because I'm going to mess it up, all right? Do you love my wife? Y'all, you know, on a night like this, I'm just being myself. This is what she has to deal with 24-7. God rest her mind and help her, all right? I'm not complaining. Yeah. Hey, you guys. <clears throat> yeah, I remember when Madeline was in the hospital and just freaking out, and we'd be in the elevator on our way up to hear all the gloom and doom from the doctors, and Dan would crack some joke. <laughs> and I remember years ago, before I really understood that God wanted to give us a full life, an abundant life, I would have been offended. How could you be this way in such a difficult time of our life? But we were in such a different kind of a place where, like, it was like sink or swim, and it was kind of beautiful, and I, it made me grateful that God gave me a partner that understood me, and that was the complete opposite of me, and that showed me some balance. So I know that God has that for each one of you. And um, so let's just uh, ask God to be with us for the rest of the week. Jesus, we just thank you that your word changes us. We thank you that you're good and that you're faithful. We thank you for your righteousness that gives us fullness of peace and joy. And God, I pray for each one that's here tonight. God, that you overwhelm them with your love and with your peace. God, that you provide their every need. And Jesus, I pray that you walk with them through every decision, every step that is made. Sometimes life can be challenging, but with you, we can do anything because you're our strength. 
and you're the one that we look to. And until we meet again, um, I pray that you do great things in our lives and let us come back on Sunday ready to party and ready to love you and ready to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. We'll see you Sunday.